As AI continues to make devices, machines, vehicles, and things more intelligent, Qualcomm is pushing AI processing to the edge, specifically onto the device. With more than a decade of advanced AI research, they're making it possible for AI and machine learning to move from the data center and the cloud to the device. For enhanced privacy and security, increased reliability, more immediate response, and faster speeds. From AI to 5G, it all starts with Qualcomm. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM, and I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Ilya Sutkover. He is the co-founder and the chief scientist at OpenAI, one of the most fascinating institutions on the face of this planet. Welcome to the show, Ilya. It's great to be here. Um, just to bring the listeners kind of up to speed, talk a little bit about what OpenAI is, what its mission is, and kind of where it's at. Like, set the scene for us of what OpenAI does. Great, for sure. So, OpenAI, so we thought, the best way to describe OpenAI is this. So, at OpenAI, we take the long-term view that eventually computers will become as smart or smarter than humans in every single way. We don't know when it's going to happen, some number of years, some ten, tens of years, it's unknown. And the goal of OpenAI is to make sure that when this does happen, when computers which are smarter than humans are built, when AGI is built, then its benefits will be widely distributed. We want it to be a beneficial event. And that's the goal of OpenAI. And so we were founded three years ago and since then, we've been doing a lot of work in three different areas. We've done a lot of work on AI capabilities. And over the past three years, we've done a lot of work we are very proud of. And some of the notable highlights are our Dota results, where we had you know, the first um, very convincing demonstration of an agent playing a real-time strategy game, trained with reinforcement learning with no human data. We've had... Um, We've trained a we trained a robot to re or a robot hand to reorient the block. It was really cool. It was cool seeing to real transfer. And recently, we've released the GPT two, a very large language model which can generate very realistic text as well as solve lots of different NLP problems to very high level of levels of accuracy. And so, this has been our work on capabilities. Another um, thrust of work that we are doing is AI safety, which at core is the problem of finding ways of communicating a very complicated reward function to an agent so that when the agent that we build can achieve goals with great competence, it will do so while taking human values and preferences into account. And so we've done some significant amount of work there as well. And the third line of work we are doing is AI policy where we basically have a, a, num a number of really good people thinking hard about how, what kind of policy, how, what kind of policy should be designed and how should governments and other institutions respond to the fact that AI is improving pretty rapidly. But overall, our goal is eventually the end game of the field is that AGI will be built 
And the goal of OpenAI is to make sure that the development of AGI will be a positive event and that its benefits are widely distributed. So 99.9% of all the money that goes into AI is working on, you know, specific narrow AI projects. And I tried to get an idea of how many people are actually working on AGI. And I find it to be an incredibly tiny number. There's you guys, maybe uh, you would say Carnegie Mellon, maybe um, Google, maybe, you know, there's, there's a handful. But is my sense of that wrong? Or do you think there are lots of groups of people who are actually explicitly trying to build a general intelligence? So explicitly, okay, a great question. So I'd say explicitly most people, most research labs are indeed not, not having this as their goal. But I think that many people, the work of many people in, indirectly contributes to this. Where, for example, the fact is that much that better learning algorithms, uh, better network architectures, better optimization methods, all, all tools which are you know, classically categorized as conventional machine learning, they also directly, you know, they, they are likely to be directly contributing to those well, let's stop sure. there for a second, because yeah. I noticed you changed your word to their likely. Do you still think it's an open question whether narrow AI, whatever technologies we have that do that, is it an open question whether that has anything to do with general intelligence? Or is it still the case that a general intelligence might have absolutely nothing to do with backpropagation, you know, neural nets and machine yeah. learning? So I think it's very highly unlikely. Sorry, I want to make it clear. I think that the tools that the field of machine learning is developing today, such as deep networks, backpropagation, I think those are immensely powerful tools. And I think that it is likely that they will stay with us with the field for a long time, all the way until we build very you know, through, through, through general intelligence. At the same time, I also believe, I want to emphasize that important missing pieces exist and we haven't figured out everything. But I think that the deep, deep, deep learning has proved itself to be so versatile and so powerful and it's basically been exceeding our expectations um, in every turn. And so for these reasons, I feel that deep learning is going to stay with us. Well, let's and talk about that. Please. Though, so because the, one could summarize the techniques we have right now as let's take a lot of data about the past, let's look for patterns in that data, and let's make predictions about the future, which isn't all that exciting when you say it like that. It's just that we've gotten very good at it. But why do you believe that method is the solution to things like creativity, intuition, emotion, and all of these kind of human abilities. Like, don't, isn't it, it seems to me, and, and you would know better, but it seems to me at an intuitive level that if you want to teach a machine to play Dota or Go or whatever, yeah, that works great. But really, when you come down to human level intelligence with its versatility, with transfer learning, with all of the things we do effortlessly, it, it's not even, it doesn't seem at first glance to be a match. So why do you, why do you suspect that it is? Well, I mean, I can tell you how I look at it. So for example, you mentioned intuition is one thing which like, 
so you 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 use the certain phrase to describe the current tools where you kind of you look for patterns in the past data and you use that to make predictions about the future and therefore it sounds not exciting but i don't know if i'll agree with that statement and on the question of intuition i can tell you a story about about AlphaGo. so one of the ways so the basically so after after convolution so if you look at how AlphaGo works there is a convolutional neural network so okay actually let me give you a better analogy so i believe there is a book by malcolm gladwell where he describes where he talks about experts and one of the things that he has to say about experts is that an expert as a result of all their practice they can look at a very complicated situation and then they can instantly tell like the three most important things in the situation and then they think really hard about which of those things is really important and apparently the same thing happens with go players where a go player might look at a board and then instantly see the most important moves and then do a little bit of thinking about those moves and like that instantly seeing what these moves are this is the intuition and so i think that it's basically unquestionable that the neural network that's inside AlphaGo can capture this intuition very well. So I think I think it's not correct to say that intuition cannot be captured. But and then the, and 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 so actually I'll let you, I'll let you speak a little bit more. So when I think of like Harry Potter or our Lin Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, and I want to to imagine a day a computer could write something like that. I wouldn't immediately say, well, why don't I just study everything that's ever been written before and use that to somehow make projections of what might be good in the future. If I think of so Banksy, I, the graffiti artist or something, I don't know that I would make a digital Banksy with machine learning. Well, I do agree with you that today, at least, um, at least right now, we don't know how to do super amazing creativity like the one you described although it's also important to keep some of the good examples you have in mind i feel like the ability of computers to generate images and text with our gpt2 and you know cartoon images and it's is get it is getting better so i find it i mean you are you are right that right now it looks like they're not generating anything close to real truly amazing art but it's also true that a real artist must study the work of past masters very carefully and really internalize all their tools and techniques before they get to a point where they can really add their innovative twist. It's not like they just go from zero to 60. But I also agree with you that there is an important capability that humans have that our system still do not, that we haven't discovered. But what I do believe quite strongly that the deep learning tools that we have are truly deeply powerful and i think it is likely that these tools or some form of these tools are basically going to stay in the field until the end until general intelligence is built fair enough so you know in 1956 when when that when a group of people convened at dartmouth saw the ai they thought they could do it in a summer and that assumption was based on the idea that intelligence might have just a few very simple laws like Newton's laws or Maxwell's laws that it might be very simple and and also if you look at DNA you know the amount of DNA you have that you share with a chimp 
Uh, 99.9%. So if, if DNA has 600 meg of data, and you know the amount that you're different than a chimp may just be a few hundred K, and yet it's that difference which, that isn't general intelligence, but that small difference is what can produce general intelligence. So I'm wondering, is there any chance that general intelligence is actually quite a bit simpler than the complexity, the ever more complex systems that we're building is it possible it's just a really simple thing? So I think the answer is yes. I also want, so I want to say two things. First of all, I think the answer is yes, it is possible that it's simple. I want to object to the statement that we are building ever more complex systems. I think that in, there is that the, in some, in some setting, in some, in some situations, the engineering infrastructure around the system can be quite complex. For example, when I think about all the engineering that went into our Dota hand, or in sorry, into Dota hand, into our Dota bot, or into our robot hand, the engineering there was quite complex, even though the machine learning core was simple. And I actually, you know, when you want to solve a really hard problem of great complexity and a huge number of details in special cases, it's not possible to program all that. We are not that good programmers. We have to use a fairly simple machine learning system and then point it very correctly at the problem. So I think that it's, so I, if I were to look at many of the most interesting systems that exist today, they're all very simple. I also want to comment about that uh, Dartmouth um, conference where people were very optimistic about AI. I actually had a, a, a cool realization about it recently. I used to think, sorry, like one, one interesting question is how comes that in the old days, the symbolic AI completely overshadowed the machine learning stuff, even though if you look at the ideas that people were discussing in Dartmouth, they were talking about machine learning. And apparently Marvin Minsky himself, who later became a big symbolic AI researcher, was started from learning in neural networks. And I think what happened is that in the 50s, their computers were really tiny. And they were so tiny that you couldn't learn anything interesting at all. But you could do cool demos of symbolic AI. Like you could build a program that could prove little theorems about 2D geometry and do solve some calculus problems. And people looked at that. They thought, wow, we can do this after like a year of work. For sure, like we could do everything. And what the, thing, the only thing that changed now is that eventually our computers are faster. And so the, the same, you know, slight variants of old learning ideas are starting to work really well. But I, broadly speaking, I think that it is likely that once we understand how general intelligence works, we will find the solution to be simple. And it's almost always like this in science. It's always, it's always easy in hindsight. It's always very difficult to understand how could people ever not see it? Like, for example, Today, we understand deep learning really well. And we understand that if you train a big neural network on a big data set, of course it's going to solve the problem. Of course it can achieve very high performance. Of course it can solve very problems that are even very difficult. And it's very hard to understand how we ever thought otherwise. So I agree that it's simple. I think that many, many of the cool systems that exist today are simple, and I think that also includes, and that includes our DotaBot, for example, or the GPT-2 language model, which we released. They are both very simple systems conceptually. 
And yeah. So I think that's, that's all I have to say on this. Fair enough. So, you know, humans are our sole example of a general intelligence. You know, we have these brains that we don't really understand. Like, you know, there's thoughts aren't stored in your brain the way that, you know, they're stored on a hard drive. And, and the brain gives rise to a mind, which are all of these things that seem a little mysterious, like a sense of humor. You know, you don't think your liver has a sense of humor, but your brain does. So we have this mind we don't really understand. And we have consciousness, which is that we can experience the world. We can sense warmth. We don't just measure temperature. And so we have these capabilities, this mysterious brain, this, this, this emergent mind, and this, this odd consciousness. And I think the sole reason that people say we can definitely build an AGI, I think that the, the only reason is that they say, look, we don't know how we do it, but we know it's got to be mechanistic. It's got to be, yeah, it's got to be mechanistic. We're just machines. That's, we are simply machines. And therefore, someday we'll build a mechanical human or, you know, a mechanical mind. So my question to you is, and that's why I think there's so much disagreement on when we'll get it. Why Elon Musk says five years and Andrew Ng says 500 years. It's because nobody knows what, how to build it. We just assume that if we're machines, we can build it. So I want to ask you, are there any data points that suggest we can build an AGI other than that philosophical assumption that if we're machines, we can build a machine to duplicate what we have? Do we have any data that suggests we can build one? So I think this is a very good question also. This is, this is an excellent question. I feel like for sure no, no one knows how long it's going to take to, sol to build AGI because we don't know how, what, are, what the nature of the problems we'll need to face. On the question of why we think we can build it at all, I think you're, um, I agree with you that fundamentally it boils down to the human brain is made of matter. Matter obeys certain rules. You've got particles jumping around. You can study how these particles are arranged and you can try to understand how that system works. And people did that. And the result was neuroscience. They discovered the neurons. And the, neuron, and the discovery of the neurons led to the idea that maybe we could have artificial neurons, which could also do learning. And that these ideas, you know, there is a chain of research all the way from the late 19th century to today were first the neuron was discovered by, I believe, Ramon Y. Kajal, and then McCullough and Pitts, they thought that this is a really cool idea and we can create an artificial model of neurons. And then Rosenblatt came up with a perceptron that he said, okay, not only neurons are cool, but we can have a learning room. And the, the way I see it is that like you can't have a mathematical proof, like a proof where you say, yeah, like in the same way that I know that two plus two is four, I know that we could build AGI at some point, but I think you could make good arguments. The argument that you presented is good. That's number one. And number two is the fact that we have computers and the success that we had with neural networks so far. I think this is an additional point that we can build AGI. Like if you think about deep learning, back propagation is the same learning algorithm but it's used in so many different domains. It's used to do vision, it's used to do speech, it's used to play games, and it's used to do language. It's used to generate text and images. So this suggests some very deep generality. So this is an additional data point. I think a third data point, which suggests that AGI should be buildable, 
is the fact that the human brain has very clear computational properties. So for example, if a person damages their brain in a particular brain region, they lose a certain capability. There are examples, there, there are known brain regions where if a person is damages the, that brain region, they lose the ability to generate coherent language. There's a different brain region where if a person damages the brain there, they lose the ability to understand language, but they don't lose the ability to generate language. So they can say what they want and they can say how they feel and they can say what they think. But if you talk to them, they won't be able to understand it. So I think this class of evidence, the, the mechanistic nature of the brain, the direct evidence for that in terms of brain damage, the philosophical notion that the brain is made of particles, we can study how the particles are arranged, and the progress we've had with AI so far, and in particular with deep learning, and the fact that it's all driven by one, essentially, like a very, very small set of ideas. But of course, even if all of that were true, it doesn't it doesn't, none of that suggests that we can duplicate it in, in silicon. I mean, none of it suggests that our computer paradigm that we have now uh, can achieve it. Is that correct or not? No, no. I think, I think, this, I think these ev this evidence does suggest that you could replicate it in silicon because the fact that the brain is made out of particles suggests that if, let's say, we give up on everything, we give up on any innovation, and talk fully philosophically, in the limit, you could imagine a very, very large computer, a data center of the size of a country, let's say, which simulates all the molecules in the brain of a human. And that should be indistinguishable from a human in terms of information processing. So this is an existence proof that computers can build general intelligence. Then I think the progress that we make with deep learning, it's very clearly done on computers and it suggests further that you have this one very narrow class of methods, very simple, small set of tools, which can solve a very broad range of problems, which is constantly expanding. So I think those two arguments suggest that in fact, it should be replicatable in silicon. But the minute you do make a machine that can experience the world, and consciousness may be a requisite for intelligence, if it can experience the world, i.e. it can feel pain, then it kind of instantly has rights. And then all of a sudden you can't, in good conscience, program it to clean your house. Is that right? So I think this is an excellent question. This is an excellent question. And as computers get smarter, we will need to grapple with those questions a lot. I think that, so I feel like our thinking on these questions is still very preliminary. I believe there will be a way around the particular problem which you're describing, where we will be one of the advantages of building those intelligent systems is that we will have control on their deepest drives. We will have some control for sure. And so you could, it is conceivable that we could build a system which is fully intelligent, fully aware, very smart, but its deepest drive is to clean your house and basically make sure that all your needs are met. And it wants to do that. And it becomes unhappy if you don't let it. So you could build a system of this nature. And then there will be a question, do we want to build such systems? But at least technically, there is no reason why such systems couldn't be buildable. But that would be akin, wouldn't it be, to brainwashing a human to want to clean your house and then saying, well, he wants to clean my house. I, I have to let him. I mean, 
I don't think it's the same. It's more like, I think instead of calling it brainwashing, I would say, you know how a lot of our drives are given to us by evolution. So the reason we want to eat certain foods and the reason we want to do certain things, some of them come from culture and some of them come from evolution. But it is undeniable that evolution has given us a lot of drives. And evolution could have given us a different set of drives and different and other animals have very different set of drives. So for example, there are animals who have a drives to dig a burrow in the ground and hide there. And I really want to do that. And so do we feel that it's wrong that those animals do that, if you see what I mean? And what I'm talking about will be more similar to hard-coding a drive the way an evolution hard-codes a drive in an animal. So our goal is to build a generalized unsupervised learner. Is that correct? Something we can just point at the web and it can learn everything and understand how everything interacts with everything else. A, is that a goal? And B, uh, how likely is it we'll do that? And will that be some huge breakthrough? I mean, when they, when they programmed Ultron, plugged him into the internet, 15 minutes later, he decided to kill the world. You know, so you, you have to think, well, what, what, what do we want to build? Is that what we want? Is it unsupervised learner? So I feel, I mean, so the, let's, let's see. Let's see how, what would be the, the, the best thing here. So I feel like, I feel like your question is several parts and I want to uh, touch on, on, on the different parts. On the question of do we want to build a general unsupervised learner, I mean, my response here is that unsupervised learning is clearly important, is clearly useful. As our work on the, on the, as our recent language modeling work shows, it's clearly starting to work and show signs of life. For sure, future intelligent systems and AGI in particular will make heavy use of, of unsupervised learning. And then as your comment of deciding to, you know, you program a powerful system and then it decides to do something very harmful 15 minutes later, well, that, this is why OpenAI invests so heavily in AI safety today to make sure that such a thing will not happen in however many years or decades uh, when we do get to systems at this level of intelligence. So I guess uh, we're, we're coming up on the end of our time. Um, well, I'll ask one more question, which is, there's an idea that there's something called a superintelligence. So the idea is you build a machine that has an IQ of 100, and then it has an IQ of 1,000, then it has an IQ of 10,000, then it has an IQ of 10 million. And what in the world would something with an IQ of 10 million want, need, care about, whatever? Do you believe in the notion of a superintelligence, or is that just like one of those science fiction thought experiments? So my take, my view is that there is nothing special about the level of uh, intelligence of humans. And in fact, I think not only, I think that the notion of superintelligence is plausible, superintelligent entities, entities which are much smarter than humans already exist today. And these entities are called corporations. If you think of Google as of a single entity, and in some sense, it is a single entity. Its intelligence and its capabilities are far greater than the capabilities of any single human. And so 
there is no reason why the, in the far future, many years or decades away, when computers become smarter than humans, there is no reason why a big network of computers will not be much smarter than a human also. I think it's, it's a pretty uncontroversial statement, just like a corporation is already a super intelligence. Then in the far future, when computers are smarter than humans, a network of such computers will be a, will be a super intelligence in the sense of, in the, in the literal sense of the word. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Um, how can people keep up with you and how can they keep up with what OpenAI is doing? Kind of rattle us off some Twitter handles yeah. and URLs and all that. For sure. For sure. So basically, if you go to Google and, search and type OpenAI, you'll find our website and we have a blog and we have a Twitter handle, which is also called OpenAI. And so all our, all our work is, all, all the cool work that we do is, can be found on Twitter and on a blog. And in fact, we, make, we work really hard to make our blog as accessible as possible and so that you can just read the first paragraph and you can get 80% of what's going on. All right. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. As AI continues to make devices, machines, vehicles, and things more intelligent, Qualcomm is pushing AI processing to the edge, specifically onto the device. With more than a decade of advanced AI research, they're making it possible for AI and machine learning to move from the data center and the cloud to the device. For enhanced privacy and security, increased reliability, more immediate response, and faster speeds. From AI to 5G, it all starts with Qualcomm.